Gamarjoba, my name is Roberto, and I would like to sincerely thank you for taking the time to check out my podcast, The History of Sacartvelo, Georgia. In all likelihood, I would venture to guess that you found us because you were searching for either podcasts, YouTube videos, blogs about the history of Georgia, or you're hearing this on another podcast, like this one. I'm both sorry and happy to report that this beautiful and fascinating country is, to my great surprise, criminally underrated in the history world. As of now, this is the only podcast I am aware of dedicated to the full history of a nation and a people that have served as the battleground for empires all throughout European and Asian history. But the land of the Kartveli is so much more than that. The birthplace of wine, the second Christian kingdom, the land of fantastic food, nearly superhuman dancers and musicians, and perhaps, most importantly, a people that have preserved their culture, pride, and independence after centuries of one conquest after another. Empires rise and fall, but Sacardvelo always seems to survive in the end. So, let us celebrate this beautiful land by coming with me on this journey from prehistory to the present day, right here at the History of Sacardvelo, Georgia. You can find us on our website, historyofsacardvelo.com, or on Twitter at History underscore Georgia. Sacartvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we pass judgment on all of the kings and emperors of France from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme and who will be sent to the guillotine? Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. And welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. We are once again coming to you remotely from our separate houses. Because I'm not risking getting covered. No, Eliza's got a wedding on the weekend. And yeah, and I'm a bridesmaid, so I don't want to risk it. It's my first time being a bridesmaid. My housemate, the one who looks like Charles the Bald, is infected. Yep, he's plagued. Uh, not with dysentery, with COVID. Uh, he's diseased. So, you're uh, so, you know, when he dies, I'm going to put him in a barrel and um, bury him wherever, just like Charles the Bald. I am going to insert a clip. I think it should already have played at the start of the episode, but Roberto from the History of Sakat Velo, Georgia podcast. Mm. We've we've sort of plugged him at the beginning of the episode, and he's going to plug us at the beginning of his next episode. So yeah, Roberto's podcast is great. It, it looks at the uh, history of Georgia, Sakat Velo, as it's called in, in Georgian. He had to clarify it in the name of the podcast because people might think it was Georgia, the state in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Georgia's a very fascinating country. country. Yeah. If you didn't know that, now you do. And he started mostly by talking about um, Colchis, which is the place where Jason goes with the Argonauts in Greek mythology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Greeks, I've also started listening to the Hellenistic Age podcast recently which is very good. So mm. 
Derek, if you're listening, we also <laughs> like your podcast. Yeah, it just looks at the world of Alexander the Great, like, between when he dies, basically, and uh, when the Romans take over, which is a uh, fascinating period of history that's hmm. kind of overlooked. I was like, listening to Noble Blood. That's my go-to podcast. Oh, Noble moment. Blood is excellent. I need to catch up on their recent episodes because they've done a few. I like, want to do a collab with Danis. If I could, I'd be like, oh. Oh, with Dana Schwartz? That's like. Yeah, I just. That's a high ambition because she's she's big. She's in the. I big know, leagues. but that's like the dream ambition. But Dana's great. I also follow her Instagram, and um, she's very fun. Yeah, I also follow her TikTok. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, my my cue on my podcast app currently has about four hundred episodes downloaded onto it. Yeah, I get that. So that is my cue right now. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm going to have to start being a bit more brutal with, like, cutting out what I'm not listening to, which is sad because I want to listen to everything. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and I have to listen to our podcast, like, three or four times a week in order to edit it. So <laughs> that saps away a lot of time. But, yeah. So let's get into who we're talking about this episode. Yes. Who are we? Do you, do you not remember again? No, I do remember. I was just asking. Oh. Who is, it? You know. Who is it then, Eliza? It's Carlman the Second. Oh, good job. I, the only reason why I remembered it is because I had to Google for Louis III because I couldn't remember if he had an epithet or not. No, no, <laughs> And I didn't. was, like, typing up the Instagram post and I was like, you oh, know yeah. what, I better Google this because I cannot remember his epithet. I was like, I don't think he does, but better double check. And so yeah. obviously his brother pops up. What do you so. think his epithet should be if he had one? Oh, I have no idea. Louis the Third, the the head bumper. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll figure out at the end of this this episode whether or not Carloman the Second should have an epithet. Or if you guys want to tell us what you think they should have epithets for. Yes, yeah. So Carloman the Second's early life, we pretty much already covered it. It's the yeah. same as his brother Louis the Third. Um, yeah. So yeah, we talked about. Ansgard and her struggles becoming mm-hmm. recognised as the wife of Louis the Stammerer, who she married while he was in rebellion. Yeah. And then unrecognised. Yeah, unrecognised. She gets repudiated. She gets locked out of the palace and she gets replaced by Adelaide of Paris, who becomes the mother of Charles the Simple. Mm. But despite all odds, Louis III and Carmen II end up really popular and they become the joint kings of West Francia. Yeah. Good bros. So yeah, go. I think it's pretty fresh in Eliza's mind, all that stuff from last episode. Yeah, it actually so, is once. Yeah. So go back and listen if you need a refresher on those, but I'm not going to go back over all of that again because we've we've rehashed that like late Charles the Bald period like quite a bit in recent episodes. Yeah. Because we also had Robert the Strong and like, you know. All that jazz. All that jazz. All overlapping. But now- yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a bit of overlap with Louis III, but we're going to see a bit more from the Southern French perspective. Ooh. This episode will also be aided by the fact that I have finally found a copy of the most entertaining chronicler from this period, Regino of Prume, thanks to Bree from Pontifax, uh, did like a call out on Twitter for it, and Sarah, who is stu- soon about to start the Spanish Arpoda podcast, uh, yeah. found us a link to it, so that's really good. So thank cool. you, Sarah. And thank you, Brie, for, for being proactive in a way that I have not been. 
yeah, so Regina's a good source. We'll be getting a few more little details about people's personalities because Bishop Hinkmar of the Annals of Sampatan doesn't talk about people's like personalities and like what they were like. Whereas Regina, even though he's writing a lot later, he's more interested in like the characters and the drama and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whereas Hinkmar is just like facts. Um, apart from when he gets preachy and Christian. <laughs> dubious. Um, but yeah, Regina introduces Carloman II and his elder brother, Louis III, as, quote, distinguished by their handsome appearance and their great strength of spirit. Mm. So that's nice. The only other mention Carloman gets as a child from any source is uh, when there are negotiations for his betrothal to a daughter of Bozo of Provence, and his wife, mm. Ermengarde of Italy. So Louis the Stammerer, when he was trying to sort of make friends with them, he offered Carloman as a husband to one of their daughters. Ah, uh, yeah. But this daughter is never mentioned again, so this betrothal obviously never comes off. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just kick it off with Louis the Stammerer's death in April 879. Yeah. When... He ordered on his deathbed that his sons, Louis and Carloman, would co-rule West Francia. Mm-hmm. And what exactly that would mean, the sons and the, the nobility were sort of left to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but by the following September, the brothers have worked out how to divide the realm. So Louis III gets the northern bit, Neustria, Brittany, what is now Belgium, which is really just Flanders, is all of Belgium in this period. Yeah. Um, and Lorraine as well uh, is what Louis III gets. Although the territory in Lorraine shrinks as a result of the East invading and also Hugh of Alsace rebelling. We'll get into that. Or we got into that, I should say, last episode. So Carloman II gets Aquitaine and Burgundy, or at least the bit of Burgundy that's in the West Frankish kingdom. Because Burgundy's kind <laughs> of weirdly kind of split between East Francia and Carloman, and also Bozo gets Upper <laughs> Burgundy. Yeah. So Carloman's main base is around the Loire River. Sorry, is south of the Loire River, I should say. It's around the Garonne River, which is the one that flows through Bordeaux and Toulouse. The brothers figure out how to divide the kingdom just in time for a spanner to be thrown into the works as their posthumous half-brother, Charles the Simple is born to their stepmother, Adelaide of Paris. But he's the least of their worries right now. After a little bit of jostling and skirmishing between the Frankish kings and their vassals, which we talked about last episode, here's the situation. Lorraine gets taken, or Lotharingia. I keep going between Lorraine and Lotharingia, but they're the same place. (laughs) (laughs) The name Lorraine comes from Lotharingia, so it's the same. So Lorraine gets taken by Louis the Junior German, mm-hmm. the king of Saxony and Franconia, yeah, but, the, but the brothers are able to negotiate it back, or at least to rent it back yeah. um, at the Treaty of Riedmont in 880, which is this big moment where the, the, a coalition forms between all of the Frankish kingdoms against Bozo. Mm. So Bozo has Provence, which was briefly conquered by Charles the Bald, but is now an independent kingdom ruled by him. Uh, So it's Bozo has reached his final boss form. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> which we will get into in next episode, which will be Bozo's 0.5 episode. I'll try not to talk too much about Bozo, but he he does overlap quite a lot with Cullerman. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in the North, we've got the brothers teaming up with Louis the Junior German against the Vikings. And in the South, they team up with Charles the Fat, the King of Alemannia, Louis the Junior German's brother, against Bozo. So while Louis III gets some nice victories against the Vikings, and Carloman actually helps in one of the battles, the Battle of Timéon, they're only very short-term victories. They aren't able to actually dislodge the Vikings from their base around Frisia and the Netherlands, and they aren't able to stop the incessant raids, which are now happening mainly along the Rhine River through the heart of the Carolingian Empire. The brothers likewise have initial success uh, against Bozo, so they regain the Burgundian city of Macon, uh, but they fail to make much headway into uh, lower Burgundy, which is sort yeah. of when it, where it goes down into Provence. Uh, so there's a protracted siege of the fortified city of Vienne, led by the mm-hmm. brothers, but this fails in late 880 as winter approaches. Yeah, always. Um, yeah. Though Carloman goes back and resumes the siege in 882. And at his side is Bozo's brother, who we haven't really mentioned. His name is Richard. Oh, normal so, name. Yeah, we're getting some we're getting some names that actually stand the test of time now. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, Bozo's brother Richard is uh you know, there's obviously a bit of family drama here, which we'll yep, get into in Bozo's on. episode. But Richard had become Count of Autun in his brother's stead. So remember, yeah. Bozo became Count of Autun, but now Richard's taken that over. And eventually he will become the first official Duke of Burgundy. Oh. Richard, yeah. So this, this will actually be the first time Burgundy will become a duchy rather than a weird sort of sub-kingdom thing. Cool. Uh, but the Duchy of Burgundy is different to the Duchy of Upper Burgundy, okay. which is actually a kingdom in this time because Bozo is the king of Upper Burgundy as well as Provence. Um, yeah. And the Duchy of Burgundy is also different from the County of Burgundy, which would become a thing in the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> so, <laughs> Got enough Burgundy. Yeah, we've got, we're going to, we'll end up with three Burgundies at, at some point, but you know, Richard's ruling the main bit of Burgundy, which is around... Autun, Dijon, Nevers, Auxerre, all these places we've been hearing about before. Yeah. That's the core Burgundy land. Um, but it is Richard and not Carloman who will get credit for taking Vienne, uh, hmm. Bozo City, because Carloman is called away from the siege in August 882 uh, when mm-hmm. he receives word that Louis III, his brother, is dead. Oh, yeah. That makes got- sense. Why did he go? Yeah, yeah exactly. So he's now the sole king of the West Franks, and that means Ooh. he's got to go up north and not only consolidate his throne, but also take over Louis's campaign against the Vikings. Yeah. Because he was right in the middle of that. He was he was just seeking aid from the Bretons when he got sidetracked in Saint-Denis and, uh, and hit his head. Dad. <laughs> so we'll leave Richard's siege of Vienne on a cliffhanger for now, because uh, I don't want to spoil what happens for Bozo's episode. But suffice it to say, Bozo doesn't feature much in the rest of Carlman, the second story. So, 
Forget about Bozo until next time. <laughs> yeah. So Carloman reaches northern West Francia to find mm-hmm. it an absolute mess. Yeah. Uh, particularly along the eastern border because the Vikings have just gone to town on both Flanders and the Rhine Valley. So Cologne, Trier, Liège, Prume, Inden, Tongre, Arras, Combray, and even Aachen are all on fire. Ooh, that's not yeah. good. The palace of Aachen is destroyed at this time. Oh. Yeah. And uh, the Bishop of Metz, the spiritual successor of St. Arnulf, the ancestor of the Pippinids, has also been slain in battle. Uh, yeah. By the way, this is the- or just killed? Slain in battle. Oh, damn. By the way, this is the golden age of the Frankish warrior bishops. Yeah, I like um, that, a battle bishop. Yeah, battle bishop. We had Carloman's uncle Carloman, uh, remember, was a monk who- was very oh, fighty yeah. in Aquitaine a generation yeah. ago. And we've also got Hugh the Abbot, yeah. who is the abbot of St. Martin of Tours and also is the Margrave of Neustria. So <laughs> um, he's doing a lot of fighting as well. So, yeah, it's the golden age of the battley bishops. Um, Woo! Yeah. I like battley bishops. Yeah, which has come just after the golden age of lay abbots. <laughs> Remember lay abbots? Yeah, I remember the um, abbots. So now, instead of the warrior class just taking over the abbeys, uh, yeah. the bishops are, are becoming part of the warrior class in a way. Um, mm. That's sort of, you know, painting with broad brushstrokes, but, you know, the bishops are learning that the way to prove themselves is by, like, actually contributing and fighting the Vikings. Um, yeah. To actually defend their own lands because if they don't defend their lands then the warrior class will just take over exactly so uh no sooner had carloman arrived and sort of taken control of the situation in the northeast um operating from his palace at compiègne which is a bit northeast of paris um Mm -hmm. then he he received word the vikings were also raiding the west coast again um yeah up the the law can't catch a break but we don't get much detail about the Vikings raids in the West because our sources at this time mainly come from Eastern France and Germany. So uh. the bit that's more on fire and they're more interested in their own houses getting burned down. Yeah. Than uh, other people's. Yeah. So Louis, the junior German has just died. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, contrary to what I said in a previous e- episode, I-, I said his wife, Leo God, didn't have children. She actually had given him three sons, but they'd all died in infancy. Ah, uh, yeah. So, you know, same Doesn't result. Doesn't Charles the Fat take but, over then? Yeah, so so yeah. Louis the Junior German's brother, Charles the Fat, takes over. It makes me really want to know how fat he was to get that. So we'll get to that. We'll get we'll get to his nickname. But Charles the Fat, he's now got a pretty fat territory, one might say. <laughs> he's now he now rules all of East Francia and Italy. And he's the first yeah. guy that Pope John VIII finally recognizes as emperor since he recognized Charles the Bald. Oh. Yeah. Um, which was only about, we've got the same Pope. So that was only about five years ago. Oh. Charles the Bald was emperor. Yeah, we've covered a very short amount of time in like three episodes. Yeah, it's yeah. really short. Really short reigns. 
But Charles the Fat is really not being much help against the Vikings. And this actually ties into his name, the Fat, which I've sort of left unexplained. But there's more to it than just fat shaming. Uh, Okay. So Charles the Fat's nickname was not supposed to be a slur about his weight. It's actually a bit of a mistranslation. Uh. So it should it should really be something like Charles the Lethargic. Oh, so um, the lazy. The sloth. Yeah. Or like Charles the Sluggish. Because uh, he, <laughs> he was always just too slow to react to things. Uh. So um, right now what's happening is, is after a series of humiliations against the Vikings, Charles ended up signing away Frisia to the Viking leader Gottfried in exchange for a, for a baptism, which probably didn't mean much to Gottfried anyway. Yeah. Uh, there are actually loads of Vikings at this time who get made Christians as a result of a treaty or an agreement with the Franks. Um, but they end up going back to pillaging anyway, because oh. what does it mean to them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, a, true. a dab of water and oil that's kind of meaningless if you don't b- actually believe and like learn about Christianity. It's just like a title. Yeah. And there's no one around to teach them about the new religion because they burned all of the monasteries. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Charles of that is, is not helping Carloman. He's basically handed the Vikings a strong base of power. that's like right Great. on the Flemish border. But Carloman the second thinks, well, Charles the fat is being useless, but at least I can still command the troops in Lorraine that Louis the Junior German lent to us, right? Mm, yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, I don't like us going. <laughs> so just to check that this was still the deal with Charles the Fat, now that there had been a bit of a ruler change, uh, Carloman sent his advisor, Hugh the Abbot, to renew the lease that Louis III had had on that land in Lorraine. Yeah. But, uh, quote from saint Patin. Uh, Hugh secured no firm commitment, while Charles's absence brought the utmost harm to this kingdom. Since Carloman lacked the resources to mount resistance to the Northmen, once certain magnates of his kingdom withdrew from offering him help. Oh. This, by the way, is also partly because of Hugh of Alsace, who has a second rebellion um, just of before course. this Viking onslaught. Yeah. So this is Carloman's bastard cousin. Yeah. He's he's stirred up trouble in Lotharingia because he believes he is the rightful heir to Lotharingia. Yeah. And so he basically devastated the whole region with the civil war the year before, <laughs> leading Regino to write that, quote, there was no difference between the wickedness of Hugh's supporters and that of the Northmen, except that they <laughs> refrained from murder and burnings. Damn. Yeah. So, with Lotharingia basically in a state of anarchy, quote from Sam Patan again, uh, the Northmen came as far as the neighbourhood of the fortress of Lyon, a little northeast of Paris, and ravaged and burned all the fortresses in the surrounding area. They planned to move to Reims, and from there to come back by way of Soissons and Noyon, storm those fortresses, and bring the kingdom under their control. Oh, Mm-hmm. It's not looking good for Carloman. Yeah. So as a result of these reports, Bishop Hinkmar of Reims, who is still our writer here, um, he saw that Carloman's forces were too far away. So he decided he had to flee from his archbishopric. And he took all of the Cathedral of Reims uh, treasures and the body of Saint-Remy Saint with him 
<laughs> yeah. So I actually mentioned this in our Pontifax collaboration episode. I was like, oh, there's going to be a good story about St. Remy's body being transferred. So we get like a live, sort of a, a live tweet of, of what is happening with Hikma <laughs> because he's writing the annals as he's moving. So does the body get lost or is it- No, no, the body just gets transferred, but- Well, that's good. I was afraid to get lost in movement. Yeah, the whole time they're fleeing against the Vikings, it's clear that Hinkmar's writing, um, but he's writing about himself in the third person, so it's very okay, odd. you know what I'm imagining? Yeah. Imagining him in, like, a cart and the coffin of St. Remy's on the cart, and he's yeah. just sitting on top of the coffin with, pet, like, ink and quill and paper jotting it down as they're racing around pretty the countryside. Mu- that's <laughs> honestly pretty close to the truth. Um, I mean, he'd probably have been dictating it. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to convert this next passage of Sambatan into first person because he writes in third person. It's very weird. So, so, um, my physical weakness meant that I had to be carried in a portable chair while the canons, monks, and nuns scattered in every direction. I fled across the river Marne and only just managed to reach a villa called Epinay. A band of Northmen now went on ahead of the main force and got right up to the gates of Rans. They ravaged everything they could find outside the city and burned a small number of villas, but Rans itself, though defended by neither a wall or by human hand, was defended by the power of God and of by course. the merits of the saints so that the Northmen could not get into it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so there's like a holy sanctuary circle around Rams and the Northmen like try to step over it and they're like, ooh. <laughs> a bit burning there. Yeah. It's like so a vampire sure that, trying that to works, go into but... a church. Yeah, yeah. No. You have to invite them over the threshold. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite funny. Um, so Carloman reacts. Uh, again, Ingmar's continuing to write. When Carloman heard of the Northmen's coming, he attacked them with as many men as he could muster. A large number of those Northmen who were carrying off booty were slain, and many of them were drowned in the River Ain. Probably because they were too busy carrying booty to put yeah, it exactly. down. Yeah. It's like, no, I can fight one-handed while carrying this gold. <laughs> actually, no, I can't. That's often the, the part where they actually managed to defeat the Vikings is usually when they're trying to carry off booty to their longship. Like, that's when they're most vulnerable. So, you, um, so now, you know, if you ever get attacked by Vikings, you yeah. wait till they ravage and destroy everything. And then when they're carrying it off, then you attack. Pretty much. But then by then, they've already destroyed a lot of things. So, you know, at what cost, really? Um, Where was I? Where was I? Oh, most important of all. Carloman prized the plunder out of those Northmen who were trying to rejoin their companions after the attack on Rams. So, what we've just been talking about. The main host of the Northmen, greater in terms of both size and strength, barricaded themselves up at a villa called Avo. Mm-hmm. Carloman's men could not attack them there without grave danger to themselves. So, okay. as evening drew on, they cautiously drew back and took up their posts in nearby villas. This is weirdly similar to the Battle of um, the Battle of Brissart, where Robert yeah. the Strong died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In those vibes. But the Northmen got out of Avo as soon as the moon gave them enough light, and they went back again on the route by which they had come. 
Oh. And this is the last entry in the annals of Sambatan. Does he die? Because, yeah, Bishop Hinkmar actually dies just after he flees to Epine. So he's he's writing this passage as he's dying. So he's like, Pretty uh, Yeah. So yeah, Hinkmar doesn't know what comes next. Ooh, but do we? We've still got more records. Win. We've still got the Annals of Fulda, and we've got the Annals of St. Vast, which is a new source. Mm-hmm. And we've got the Chronicle of Regino of Prum as well. Yeah. So, with the help of Hugh the Abbot, Carloman does manage to somewhat take control of the situation, and he chases down a Viking army, defeating them at Avo. Um, yeah. Well, at least he doesn't, he, you know, chases them off. But according to the annals of St. Vast, quote, this battle in no way tamed them. So, even when it seemed like the Vikings were defeated, they just sort of disappeared into the woods or got back to their ships. So, they're like cockroaches. Actually, they're like German cockroaches. They're so hard to kill once they've entered your house. I mean, they are. They're Germanic cockroaches. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, remember when you had to guess all of the Germanic tribes? Oh. <laughs> I won't make you, you do that If you ask me one now, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> well, pretty much everyone we're talking about is a Germanic tribe, unless you're talking about, like, Slavs. Um, or mm. Arabs. Yeah. Um, okay, so where was I? Yeah, so from their new base at Conde sur Lesco, um, mm-hmm. which is the Conde on the River Scheldt in Flanders. Yeah. Because um, there's a few towns called Conde, and I it took me ages to figure out which Conde this was. Um, <laughs> so Vikings sail up the, the Oise, um, O-I-S-E, uh-huh. Uh, which is one of the rivers that reaches into Burgundy. Okay. So here, quote, defences were pulled down, monasteries and churches were demolished, and the servants of the Christian religion were killed by the sword or by hunger, or they were sold abroad, and the inhabitants of the countryside were killed. No one resisted them. <laughs> mm. And uh, the Annals of St. Vast go on to give us a vividly horrifying picture of the cost of war. The Northmen did not stop from capturing and killing Christians or from destroying churches, pulling down fortifications or putting villas to fire. The corpses of clerics, laymen, nobles, women, young people and children were lying in every street. There was no street or place in which the dead did not lie and lamentation and sadness filled everyone, seeing that the Christians were massacred. God. What's the difference between young people and children? Um... Young people's, like, you know, teenagers, I guess. Oh. Uni-aged young adults. The target audience of (laughs) Hunger Games. You know, young people. (laughs) Which, speaking of Hunger Games... Actually, this kind of reminds me of um, Attack on Titan. Have you ever watched it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely horrifying, this show. And, like, there's a... I've only watched, like, the first two episodes, which are, like, a a journey. And... There's a bit Ooh. where, like, the town is just devastated. They've just been attacked by the Titans, funnily enough. And <laughs> and you just feel, like, yeah. the terror. And I feel like that's a similar feeling to what we're seeing now. Like, yeah. the floodgates oh God, yeah. are opened and it's... 
Uh, I, like, could not get into that show because it was, like, the first anime that I saw and my younger brother was watching it, and I walked in on, like, halfway through an episode and it was just really disturbing for it's me. It's very intense, yeah. But it, but I think it really accurately shows, like, the horror of war and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, it's obviously a, a, a heavy-handed metaphor, but... Um, yeah, in an anime way. It works, yeah. And everyone's always screaming at each other. <laughs> In the yeah. in that, like the main character always like screams all of his lines, and that's just a very like anime <laughs> protagonist thing. Anyway, so back on track. Back on track. I've, I've got another. Nice, totally could. Yeah, I've got another quote from Annals of Saint Vast in in eight eighty four. So, because the king was still a young man, all of the magnates gathered in Compiègne to determine what they should do. After they had discussed the matter, they sent Siegfried, a Danish Christian, to the Northmen. He was Mm. supposed to deal with the chiefs of his people to see if they would accept tribute and leave the kingdom. But... He undertook to fulfil the assignment given him and went to Amiens. There he repeated his message to the chiefs of his people who were present. After a lengthy discussion, delayed in part by much back-and-forth activity... The Northmen imposed on the King of the Franks a tribute of 12,000 pounds of silver, calculated according to their way of weighing things. Uh, Once hostages had been exchanged, those who lived beyond the Oise began to feel safer. Thus, from the day of purification of St. Mary, so the 2nd of February, until the month of October, 884, this freedom from attack was granted to them. However, so for a few months, yeah, raids further east didn't stop, so they continued to raid along the Scheldt up in Flanders. Um, and after the truce has expired, the Viking longboats once again appear on the Loire and Uh, the Loire's, yeah. So the Vikings just feel invincible at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, they quote, rage with fire and thirst for slaughter. They also make a foray into Saxony, which will be unsuccessful, Mm. actually. They get defeated by a clever man named Count Henry. Um, Mm. So again, we're seeing some modern names. But they later, they also turn to attack Paris, this time in huge numbers. But that's going to have to wait, because the Annals of Fulda report that, quote... The young king of Gaul is said mm. to have been killed by a boar while hunting. Oh, damn. The, oh, my God. It's like Game of Thrones. But the quote's not over. In fact, he was unintentionally wounded by one of his vassals while hunting and died. Game of Thrones. It's Game of Thrones. It's how Robert It is so King Robert's death. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, yeah, we have a Maybe it's where George R. R. Martin got the inspiration. Yeah, but we have a bit of a murder mystery on our hands. Ooh. Was it the boar or a person? Yeah. <laughs> so the young king's death occurred on the 12th of December, 884, near Les Andelis, a town uh, northwest of Paris. And uh, he was about 18 years old. Oh. Yeah. According to the Annals of St. Vast, the vassal was a guy called Berthold. Which has never been a good mm. name. We've gotten a few st- yeah. stinkers called Berthold. Yeah, the second you said that name, I was like, oh, <laughs> he's not going to be a good guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- Sorry for anyone who out there who does possess that yeah. name, which would be very rare. But 
so the chronicler Regina of Prum, however, uh, says that while dying, Carloman refused to name who had wounded him because he believed <laughs> it to be an accident and didn't want the innocent man to be punished. Oh, that's sweet. So it's a very honourable death for Carloman II. Yeah. And he was buried. Better than hitting his head on a door. Yeah. And he was buried alongside his brother in the Basilica of Saint Denis. Oh. Yeah. Holding hands that's really not even nice. in death. Oh. But sadly, Carloman had no wife or children. Uh, yeah. Not even a whiff of, of a maiden chasing like his brother had. Oh. So who is to succeed? Any guesses? This is Charles the Simple? Charles the Simple is five years old at this point. And so his mother. His legitimacy. Charles the his Fat. His legitimacy is questioned. Charles the Fat is 45 years old. And he's the last remaining adult Carolingian with undisputed legitimacy in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. So the Frankish nobles choose to elect him as king of West Francia to add to his long list of other titles, including the emperorship. And therefore, Charles the Fat will be the subject of our next main episode. Ooh. After we do Bozo. Ooh. But there are also some other people that you need to keep your eye on. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna okay. list a few of them. So there's Hugh the, yep. Hugh the Abbot. You'll remember. Yep. The ruler of the Loire Valley and probably the main advisor to Louis the Third and Carmen the Second. Yeah. He's been a source of stability in an otherwise pretty chaotic time. Um, yeah. And he basically has made it his mission to make sure the Carolingians cooperated against Bozo and the Vikings. So he's a big reason behind why they're able to do that. He's the one who organizes the Treaty of Reedmont and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. well, good on him. Yeah. So his younger half-brothers, Odo and Robert, the sons of Robert the Strong, yeah. have now come of age, and they are starting to make waves in politics as well. Ooh. Um, it appears that Adelaide of Paris's father, Adelard, is ousted from his <laughs> position as Count of Paris in favour <laughs> of Odo, the elder of these sons, who's now... Ooh. We're going to now refer to him as Odo of Paris. Okay, Odo of Paris it is. He's now the Count of the Palace in Paris. <laughs> yeah. We've also got Richard, Duke of Burgundy, Bozo's younger brother. Uh, yeah. His younger and better brother, in, in my humble <laughs> opinion. Um, so he's also a powerful noble, now controlling the heavily fortified region around Otan and basically keeping Bozo in check, um, as we will explore more next episode. He also, re- he also gains legitimacy in this region by marrying Conrad Welf's daughter, Adelaide. Hmm. So Hugh the Abbot's niece, basically. Um, different Adelaide, though. Different Adelaide <laughs> to Adelaide of Paris. This is Adelaide, uh, Adelaide Welf, you can call her. Um, yeah, she's oh, not, from the wealth. She's not really going to come up again. But but Richard, Duke of Burgundy, forms an alliance with his brother-in-law, Rudolf, um, who yeah. becomes king of Upper Burgundy eventually, hmm. once things start to fragment a bit more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but eventually we will see the, kings of, the kingdoms of Upper Burgundy and Provence unite into the kingdom of Arles. That's A-R-L-E-S. Which you may have heard of. Okay. You may have heard of the Kingdom of Arles. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard of it, but don't really know about no. it. Okay. But Richard, he's going to have a son, also called Rudolf. And Ooh. this son is going to be important, but we, we won't get tied up in that now. Yeah. Just to say 
around this time, there's a boy called Rudolph who's born with a little red nose. <laughs> with a red nose. <laughs> <laughs> also, in Aquitaine, there's a guy called Ranulph, who you may Ooh, remember. The you may remember the name Ranulph from Robert the Strong's episode. So, mm. this guy is Ranulph the Second, Count of Poitou. And his father, Ranulf the mm-hmm. First, had been Ro- Robert the Strong's sort of sidekick. Yeah. And now Ranulf the Second was ascending to become Duke and borderline King of Aquitaine. Mm. He's just really taking control of that whole area while Carloman is busy fighting the Vikings. Mm. And the Ranulfids, um, also called the House of Poitou, are the house mm-hmm. that Eleanor of Aquitaine will be born into eventually. Ah. About 300 years from now, but still. The Ranulfids, that's her, that's her dynasty, and it's, it's, it's now a thing. Cool. And, of course, we've still got the House of Flanders, the, the neighbourinos up north. Um, <laughs> they're now headed by Baldwin II, also called uh, Baldwin the Bald, um, which is fitting because he's actually Charles the Bald's grandson because he's the son of Judith. And Baldwin oh. I. Remember Judith eloped with Baldwin I of Flanders? Yeah. And yeah. that's how the House of yeah. Flanders came to be? Yeah. Yeah. So Baldwin II's territory, of course, falls victim to a lot of Viking devastation. But Baldwin II oh, yeah. actually really held his own remain strong. Um, oh, good. He built a series of fortifications and very sophisticated uh, infra- infrastructure, which is, is eventually going to make Flanders one of the strongest states in Northern Europe. Ooh, yeah. damn. And by the time of William the Conqueror, who marries Matilda of Flanders, it's like, it's like one of the biggest. Um, Powerhouses? Yeah. Not least because they can claim direct ancestry from Charlemagne. That's, a, that's an important part of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's always an important part of <laughs> things. True, true. Um, yeah, so... But Carloman II is dead, so now we have to get into... Rating. Rating. Into jugement. <laughs> Enchanté. Okay, so here we've got a couple of 19th century images and an earlier medieval image, but all from way after their deaths anyway, um, Yeah. of Louis III and Carloman II together as bros. Um, yeah. And... Really, they're they're always talked about in the same breath in history books, but I've done my best to like kind of separate them out <laughs> um, in these episodes. But they're in terms of enchanté, their image is very tied together. You just sent me all the pictures that I saw last week. Exactly, yeah. But there's <laughs> there, there is another one. Actually, I'll send that to you now. Because if you guys listen to last week's episode, you'll know more in detail about these pictures. But I'll give you a quick recap over them. Yeah. So you have the two brothers together, and in this one we're focusing more on Carlin. So he is holding the orb. Mm-hmm. He's more in the background because he's a bit younger. Yeah. And oh my god, that curl fringe <laughs> to die! I love that. It's like he, um, you know, the like nineteen fifties, and they had the curling. Yeah, but it's just the, f- the it's curlers. just a horizontal one at the front. Yeah. So I'm digging that. Yeah, and the the, the second image, they look more sort of Roman. Yeah, they do, yeah. But he's in the forefront. Mm. I think this so is modelled more off their sort of coin depictions where they're Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's more side. You do get to see the lovely locks still and you still see the little curls of the um, fringe. Mm-hmm. 
like baby hairs almost. Yep. And he's very like a toga style um yeah. robe. Getting out vibes. Yeah. And then we've got the um picture of when him and his brother are getting um anointed to yep. be kings. And now we've got we've actually got another anointing image. <gasps> but instead of being <laughs> Louis the Third and Carloman, it is Bozo and Carloman. Oh. Send me that. So here we go. Um, Ooh, it's definitely more like best of. Yeah, like there's a lot more people there. Yeah. Um, who's who? Carloman the second is the one in the blue and the fleur-de-lis, the smaller one, because he was younger. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, Bozo is wearing Bozo. the red and yellow of Provence. Oh, go away, Bozo. <laughs> Um, this is actually probably going to be Bozo's image for next episode, um, because oh. there's not many there's depictions not many. of him. Uh, but yeah, but we've got Carloman here as well. <laughs> Carloman's like, I'm also here. <laughs> also he looks like crowned. he's doing a side eye, Carloman, like being like, what are you doing getting crowned with me? Yeah, I don't think they're with each other. I think this is one of those, like... You know, a lot of medieval images are, like, depicting different events, but on the same sort of plane. Yeah. Like, you'll get multiple things. I think it's more like a progression of, like, first it's Carloman and then it's Bozo. Yeah, even though it really does look like Carloman's going in the side eye being like, get out of my light. (laughs) It is my time to shine. Go away. Love it. Yeah. That survives and getting. Like, he's just the understudy, but the understudy is doing way too much. Yeah, and so he's like, <laughs> I am the main character. <laughs> you are nothing. <laughs> that is the side yeah. eye vibe. And, and I'm um, loving it. Because he should be doing that too, Bozo. Yeah. And um, those are all of the images I have of Carlin in the second. There's no image of him okay. individually. Okay, but I'm digging that image, though, of him doing the side-eye. I will. <laughs> he, gets, he, I, he gets points, though. He gets points for side-eye? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because he looks so, like, peeved. How much did we give Louis Third? So, Louis Third, you gave him a four and I gave him a five for Enchante. So, he did pretty decently. Okay, I'm going to have to go less because he didn't get an epic battle picture. He doesn't get an epic battle picture and he doesn't get an epic battle poem, which we also counted for Louis Third. Yeah. But I do want to give him a bit of half point, just that side eye, because I'm digging it. Yeah. So I think I'm going to go with 2.5. When when Louis III had that epic battle, Carloman was busy besieging Bozo. Mm. And then he always has to go away when they're, like, in the battle. Exactly. He's like, oh, got to go do this. So Carloman has a lot of, like, almost victories, but, yeah. Not, nothing that gets- Yeah, not quite there. Nothing that gets sung about through the ages. Yeah. So you think 2.5? Yeah, because I cut Louis in half, but then I added half a point for that side eye. <laughs> I think I'm going to cut Louis more than a half, because I feel like even in all of these images where they're together, I feel like Carloman is always kind of the lesser one. Like like Louis is dominating him a bit. Uh, except for the side profile one. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I guess in the anointing one, they're kind of the same, but... um. Yeah. I'm less impressed, I think, by you, but only okay. slightly. So I'm going to just give him a two. Okay. Okay, so that is a 4.5 for Enchante. Not looking great so mm-hmm. far. 
Okay. But it's not do nothing king's level. Uh, true, true. <laughs> I think it'll be a while before we get to that stage again. Ugh. Um, I don't want to get to that stage again. Yeah, well, it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it will and it won't because we do have way more sources and everything. So even when yeah, yeah, kings have short reigns or like don't do much, we still have a lot of details. True. Yeah. So moving on to okay. On Guard. On Guard. So like Louis III, he does surprisingly well considering his youth. Yeah. He's clearly got some charisma and he's got some leadership ability. Yeah. However, unlike Louis III, Carloman doesn't really have anything substantial to yeah. back it up. Like, he doesn't... He just always has to go away at the last moment kind of thing yeah. to deal with something else. He has some very minor victories against the Vikings and... But not memorable, song-worthy ones. Yeah, and some stuff happens in his name that is quite you know, glorious or whatever, but it's ultimately a very horrifying time in which yeah. the Frankish realm was just getting decimated. Yeah, mm. and it's just all fractions split and it's, oh, chaos. Yeah. So it's not great in terms of the personal power of the king. We've also got Ranulf creeping with power in the south, also yeah, Richard. Richard. Bozo. Bozo taking off a chunk of the kingdom. Um, yeah. Charles the Fat Probably also taking others. off a chunk of the kingdom. And um, Louis III was about to go and, like, rally the Bretons to help him, and Carloman II doesn't really yeah. seem to follow up on that. Like, he doesn't really follow through. Yeah. Everything just kind of loses momentum when Carloman gets there, and mm. he's not really able to do it. He's kind of in, he's kind of stuck, you know? Yeah. So... I don't really have much detail other than what I've said in the episode. So what do we want to give yeah. for On Guard? It's not good. Maybe like a, a one. Uh, yeah. Because I'd say it's like... Yeah. Sl- I'm just... I'd say it's slightly worse than Louis the Stammerer, to be honest. We got two. What do we give Louis the Stammerer? Two. And Louis, yeah, Louis the Third go got 3.5. I think he got a couple points yeah, for gonna- that battle. Yeah, because bloody left a legacy there. Mm. Yeah, I just kind of have to go for one. I'm really sorry. Just you just yeah can't quite grab it. And like things are things are going pretty well, like in the early reign. But Louis the Third is very much the one taking charge with everything. Yeah, he's around. And then later on, when Colin the Second is solely in charge, like things just it really go falls. downhill. Yeah, and he's able to. Yeah, he's he's not doing nothing. Like he is running around. He like he's trying. But he's re- but it's hard when he's young, and like yeah. there's so many different like things at play going around. So many different like forces. He's more just reacting to things than actually. Yeah, he can't catch like he can't take a breath before something else like pops up and he's to rush to deal with that. So yeah. he can't like catch a breath and just think. Mm. Okay, and uh, what's going to happen in the next couple episodes? There's going to be, well, it's not going to be for another three episodes because, because of the because <laughs> of the small time frame that all these episodes take place in. But um, there's going to be a massive siege of Paris, like the biggest ever, um, and that is partly on Carloman, I think, for just not being able to defeat those strong Viking bases. Yeah. Mm. But the Vikings are a tough enemy. They are like, a very tough very enemy. Very tough opponent. But 
we do have people at this time who are repelling their invasions. Like we've got Count yeah, Henry and Flanders. Saxony. Um, Flanders doesn't really repel them. They kind of just like go into a tortoise, yeah, tortoise but shell. Yeah, building fortifications. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, of course we've, oh, they're trying. we've recently had Alfred the Great completely expelling them from England. So it is possible. This yeah. stuff is possible. Um, so I'm not going to just throw my hands up and be like, oh, the Vikings are, you can't even defeat them. Like you can, they're yeah. human as well, but yeah, he makes an effort at least. And that's all I can really say yeah. about that. What are you going to give? Oh, I think I might give him a two because really making an effort. And also I feel like in the same way we gave Louis props for like actually getting the kingdom. I think he deserves a point for that, but. Okay, I'll give him 1.5. Okay. That is a 3.5 for On Guard. Voulez-vous? Um, I, I don't have much here. Like, there's not a lot of, like, laws and rulings and stuff that happen. That yeah, are... and I don't think the citizens will be having a good time. Mm-hmm. But, like, he doesn't have time. He's campaigning for his entire reign. Um, yeah, and civil wars basically everywhere. Yeah, I'm, yeah I mean... I mean, it's debatable whether you count Bozo as a civil war or not, but, um, yeah. Well, but Hugo did. Oh, Hugh of Alsace, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, the more rebellions than civil wars, but. Yeah, but it's still unsettling for the people. Yeah, yeah, obviously. The only thing for him is, like, his good character, I think, in yeah. a similar way to Louis Third, who we, we mm. gave a three and a four. Damn, we were generous. We were generous, but then again, it wasn't as horrifying as it's gotten now in the in the true, in true, the couple true, true. years since Louis the Third died. It's just gotten so much worse. Yeah. So I got to mark him down from yeah uh, from Louis the Third. What what do you want to do? And I'm also thinking like a one again. Mm, I think I'm going to do one as well. It's not good. Hmm. Mm. Okay, I just so, wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, so that's a two for Vulevu. You know, he might have been nice to hang out with, but that's got to be weighed against giant Viking massacres. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, moving on to Ooh La La. Ooh La La. I've got absolutely nothing whatsoever. What about his death? I feel as like getting killed by a boar hunting is a bit of a... Yeah, like potential assassination. But even then it was like, he was just so gracious about it that I almost don't want to... I get... just think it's kind of a funny death. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing that happened to like William Rufus, right? It's like he was killed in the woods yeah. hunting and it's like, ooh, maybe someone assassinated him. Um, yeah. I think it's less likely he got assassinated just based on the sources i know but still it's not like it's scandalous into assassination just scat it's like the death is just yeah the death um i kind of just want to give that 0.5 yeah but you have to weigh that against louis the third who you you gave a one for his uh his scandalous death which i think was more scandalous yeah so that's why i think Carl should 0. get 0.5 yeah I like it, him getting k- k- killed by potentially a boar. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a 0.5 as well. Why not? He deserves something. He deserves something, yeah. But definitely not, definitely nowhere near a confirmed assassination. So, you know, he yeah. can't get assassination points. His friend tripped over and shot the arrow into him. Yeah. 
say, I really feel kings should avoid going into woods. Yeah, you said that a few times. <laughs> Nothing ever goes right. They should have learned. Anything can happen in the woods. There's some time there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just, just watch into the woods. A lot of bad stuff happens in the woods. Got mm-hmm. wolves and you got stuff and bulls, bulls and witches, everything. <laughs> Giants. Giants, you know, yeah. It's not a good time. It's not a, not a good time in the woods. Anyway, um, so moving on to the on throne. The on throne. The length of reign goes from the 10th of April, 879, to the 6th of December, 884. Mm. Uh, so we are count- we're counting the overlap with Louis III, because yeah. we do that. Um, so that's five years, three months, and 27 days. Mm. That is 0.99 points. Um, okay. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be nice and round that up to one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no children. Yeah, no children. So his overall Vion Throne score is the second worst we've had so far. Um, so it's just below Clothar the third, um, our worst Merovingian scorer in this category, and just above Louis the third, who got zero point six. Mm. So at least he beat those few extra years. Help. So he beat Louis the third in one round. And that's this round. <laughs> so in Vion Throne, he's only 61st overall, which is 10th last. Hmm. So there are going to be nine kings that do worse than Colin II. Damn. Eight more, I should say. Yeah. So tallying it all up. Yep. Drum roll. Do you want to guess? <laughs> uh, no, under 10. Not under 10. Um, he, he, oh, really? He got tw- he's got 12 points. Oh, that's more than I thought. Or 11.99 points, but, you know, 12 points well, out of 100. Be nice around up 12. Mm. But that is... Not great, not great, yeah, not great. But that is 14.6 points less than Louis III. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much every round he just got, like, half of Louis III's points. Yeah. Mm. So... Which, I mean, I think it's justified. He was much younger for most of the time. Like, he, he yeah. was the junior party in every way. <laughs> yeah. So, with that in mind, is he fascinating enough? Majestic enough? Uh, I, I keep forgetting this now, but I don't have it written down. Oh, is he fascinating enough? Entertaining enough? Majestic and fabulous and irresistible enough to be released from our dungeon, to go through to the Battle Royale Championship, and to be spared... The guillotine. He seems like he'd be a nice guy and he'd be a great friend, but I just can't spare him. Yeah. Nah. I just, I'm so sorry. I just don't have a reason. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that was that was Carloman the second. Um, do you mm. think? Oh, here's a question. Do you think he did better or worse than Carloman the first? Worse. Do you remember Colin the first? No, I don't really. He died of a nosebleed. Oh, yeah. Charlemagne's brother. Charlemagne was mean to him. And his mother was mean to him. I still feel as though he did worse in my mind. Well, according to our point system, he did very slightly better by 0.8 points. Than Colin the first. Oh, damn. Yeah. 
A surprise. But for perhaps obvious reasons, he will be our last Carlman. Ever. Ever. So say goodbye to Well, I guess it just doesn't have a good name. It's like how there's no more Richards after Richard III. Yeah, I thought, I thought you were going to say, there's no more Richards. I'm like, what are you talking about? My dad's name is Richard. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's literally no more Carlman. Like, whose name is Carlman these days? I don't know. No, I really want to name someone Carlman. Or at least a pet. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like, even Bozo gets a clown. So, you know. I know. <laughs> okay. I'll stop recording. No, 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 stop recording. Wait. No. Okay. I have a surprise. Oh. Um, which I was just long-windedly getting to. Our second quiz. Oh, it, damn. It's been a long time coming, but it's finally here. Trivia. Ugh. Haven't even prepped. Oh god. We did a quiz back in Clovis the Fourth's episode, who's still our lowest scorer, by the way, Clovis the Fourth. Um, because yeah, that was the shortest amount of time we've ever spent on it on a king, and that was episode eight. And we've had fifteen mm. we've had fifteen episodes since then. Damn. So I'm gonna have at least one question on each king, plus a few extra. So twenty questions yeah. in total. So strap in. Mm. Um, and feel free, if you're listening at home, to get out a pen and paper or some kind of note-taking advice. do better than me, because yep. I got my jellyfish memory. See if you can do better than Eliza. Actually, Eliza, you uh, you should keep track of your your points. <laughs> oh, let me get a pen and paper, then. <laughs> nope. Okay, a second I thought there was a pen, but it was really my Sudoku book that had a picture of a pen on it. <laughs> <laughs> So I went to grab it, and then I was like, nope, that's Sudoku book. Well, props to that artist for making such a realistic picture of a pen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I've got a scrap piece of paper. Let's go. Okay, so we'll start by casting your mind back to the III's episode. Oh. Because I'm sure you have many fond memories of the Third, that most memorable of middle-scoring Merovingians. <laughs> <laughs> so in 7-Eleven not the convenience store convenience but the store. year when Childebert III died what other event occurred in Spain Moors doing what well Spanish it can't be Spanish but, oh the Arabs um, landed yeah they invaded in a, a strikingly short amount of time they Took about eight months to conquer most of Iberia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, that was question one. In question two, yeah. Uh, which mayor of the palace who reigned for twenty-seven years and was the first to be titled Duke and Prince of the Franks died a couple of years later in Dagobert the Third's reign? Oh my God, I'm going to feel really stupid, and I know I'm meant to blank this, and I know I know I should know this. It's like a cur. Huh? Oh my god, why have I forgotten this? Okay, uh, do, you, do you want me to give you a hint? Let me just give it a minute. <laughs> You're talking to do with, like, um, ancestor, right? Yes, he's he's an, a direct ancestor of our current king. Cool. Mm. No, I nah, can't remember. You got the wrong letter. 
Uh, oh. Okay, who's the, who's the, like, first Carolingian? Charles? No, his dad. Oh my god, I've meant to blank on his dad's name. Someone, Charles Martel. Someone the short. It's not Martel? Pepin the short. Oh, it's, I it's can't not, But it's not that. Pepin the short, it's the guy Pepin the short is named after. Pepin the elder or Pepin yes, the middle? Yes, Pepin the middle. <laughs> that doesn't count. That doesn't count, I had to leave you there, but... Um, yeah, God, honestly, I can't believe I forgot that. I feel really stupid. You know what? Okay, if you had told me, if, okay, your clue should have been Lord of the Rings, then I would have got it. You know what? I think it's a bit of a crime that Pep in the Middle didn't get a 0.5 episode in retrospect. I know. He did a lot. I but know. I think I just decided that if I didn't talk about him in the King's episodes, there would be nothing to talk about. Yeah, so we kind of covered him over multiple Yeah, we did. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, okay, question three. Okay. What yep. was Daniel's actual name as king after he was hauled out of a monastery? Chilprick? Yes! What number? Fourth? No. Third? No. <laughs> Second. Awesome. But I'll accept Chilprick. Do I get half a I'll, point No, for no, that? I'll accept Chilprick as the right answer, because that impressed me that you remembered yes. his name. Yeah. I know, same here. <laughs> So, question four. When Theodoric IV died, Charles Martel left the throne vacant for how many years? Oh, it was something like, like ten years, wasn't it? Like a really long time. It was or less eight? than ten. Yeah, yeah. I'd have accepted eight? like seven or eight because we're not entirely sure. But yeah, seven or eight years. Do I get a point for that? You do get a point for that. Yeah. Okay. So, question five. How many kings did Charles Martel serve as mayor of the palace? Oh, wasn't it like so many, like six or something? No, it wasn't that many. Four. Three. You were close. Maybe I'm thinking of his dad. I feel like his dad. Yeah, his dad served quite a few. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we got yeah, both are the fourth, who was a random that he plucked from obscurity. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we got Daniel, and then we got Theodoric the fourth. Whereas kings. Yeah. So question. I won't count that. Question six is a maths question. <laughs> um, so according to the not at all biased Chronicle of Saint-Denis, uh, Charles Martel killed 300,000 Saracens at the Battle of Tours and only lost 1,500 francs. What, therefore, is the ratio of francs to Saracens killed at the Battle of Tours? Really? <laughs> um. Yeah. This is a this is a tricky I one. I don't know. It's like pro- probably something like t- ten to one or something. Fifteen to one. I don't know. No, it's it's two hundred to one. Um, <laughs> I just guessed. I couldn't. I didn't write down the numbers. Which, if you ask me, just goes to further demonstrate that. The Chronicle of Sanity is bogus. <laughs> anyway, so um, question seven. Everest Vital Lumine's painting, The Last of the Merovingians, depicts Childeric III in what situation? Locks. The locks being cut. Yeah, getting his hair cut off. Yes. <laughs> I love that you always say locks yeah, instead is. of hair. It's very adorable. <laughs> well, they are the locks. Locks, yeah, obviously. 
It's like the famous poem, The Rape of the Lot. Yeah, or Goldilocks. <laughs> locks. So question eight, as well as slaying a demon in the bath, what two animals <laughs> does the monk of St. Gal say that Pepin the Short killed in order to prove his worth as a king? Wasn't it like a lion and a rhino? It was a lion, but it wasn't a rhino. Bear? Think like more- Was it a some- four-legged animal? Yeah, something they'd have more ready access to. A bull. To. Yeah, a bull. Bull. I'll probably give you- Does that count as a point? Uh, probably- yeah, sure. Count as a point. <laughs> you got most <Yay>. of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, question nine. Uh, when Carloman the First died in 771, to which ruler did his wife, Geberga, flee? Uh, Italy? Who was the king there? The Lombard king. Um... Oh, um, wasn't it a, da, 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 um, uh, oh my God. He has a name where you were like, I really like that name. That doesn't help me. There's lots <laughs> of names I really like. Okay. I think it's like a, it's like a latin name. You now, when you say that, just, that just makes me think Monty Python and all the names in that. The life of Brian. Okay. It's where the word desired comes from. Desiree. So close. Desirea? Desirety. I'm not going to get it. Desiderius. Desirous. Oh, Desiderius. Oh, I do like that name. I do like Desiderius. It is a very good name. It is a very good name. I'd name my kid that. But you didn't remember it, so I feel bad for your child because you're going to forget the name. (laughs) I like it. It's a good name. It is a good name. I like Desiree. I like so the name Desiree. Um, which yeah. is like the Don't you always think of um, the, feminine the French Borgias? Version. Like Cesare. Yeah, yeah, it makes you think of Cesare. Yeah. But Cesare is um, like Borgias. Italian for Caesar. Yeah. Oh, I do like the Borgias. They're very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so question 11. Okay. Uh, in Christmas of which round-numbered year was Charlemagne crowned Emperor of the Romans by Pope Leo III? Do you mean like 800 or something yep, like that? Yeah, it's 800. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got it in one. Good job. Yay. Question 12. How many of Charlemagne's legitimate daughters probably survived him? Hint. He had five children who survived him in total. And what do we know about his sons? Wasn't it like four? Yeah, four. Because the five children survived in total. Only one of them was a son, Louis the Pious. Yeah. yeah. Um, question 13. Where was Louis the okay. Pious deposed by his son Lothar I with the help of Pope Gregory IV? It's like... Like the city. It's not a city. It's a. It's, you mean the location? It's a place. It has a interesting name that it got as a result of this. Deposius Pius. <laughs> okay, in German, it's known as the Lugenfeld, but in English, it's known as Lud. Lud or something. So Feld is field, know. and Lugen. Is Flanders. 
lies. Field of lies. Field of lies. Mm -hmm. I like a little Ludv sounding. It's like, oh, Ludwig. I love that name. Yeah, it's Lugan. Lugenfeld. It's one of my favorite names. Yeah. I'd name my kid Ludwig as well. So it has <laughs> I, Desiderius and Ludwig. I want to have a dog called Ludwig. Because um, yeah. that was Beethoven's um, first name. And there's a dog called Beethoven. So Ludwig. Anyway. <laughs> um, so question 12. How many of Charlemagne's legitimate daughters? Nope. We've already done question already that one. We're already <laughs> on, on like question 14, 15 or something. <laughs> question 14. What are the two crimes for which Louis the Pious did penance? First in 818, then in 833. For his nephew, was it? Yeah. Um, he gouged the eyes out, but it was a bit too much. That was the first crime? What was the, what was the second crime? That he died. It's something that wouldn't be considered a crime now. What, eating during meat during Lent? Mm -mm. It's something we talked about. Yeah, obviously we talked about it. <laughs> I don't know, he got mad at his sons. No, um, it's to do with his wife. Oh, um... She got deposed? No, he listened well? to his wife. He listened to an e evil oh. woman's counsel. That was his second crime. Okay. Yeah. Do I get half a point for that? No. <laughs> but I remember, oh, the, remember eye the eye gouging. Fine, you get half a point. <laughs> yes. That's the most important yeah. one. Okay, question 15. That's just on Question 15. Because it's interesting. What were the names of Robert the Strong's two sons? Odin... Oban, O, Oban, Odo, Odo, <laughs> and I don't remember the other one because his name wasn't as interesting. The other one was the posthumous one, so the one who was born after Robert the Strong died. And as what Roberto? <laughs> no, Robert. <laughs> Why would he be called Roberto? I just liked it. He's not Italian. <laughs> Yeah, no, I want to give him Italian vibes, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, even people in Italy just have, like, German names right now because that, they're Franks, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, question 16. Who was the shortest reign? Okay, his new name is so Oban. What? I liked how I called him Oban instead of Odo. It's Odo. It's, like, it's the older version of Dodo. Otto. Yeah. Uh, okay, number 16. No, yeah, question 16. Who has the shortest reign so far? Chilperic the fourth? Was it Childeric? I'm doing these questions in chronological order, so. There's, there's your hint. Did he exist before Robert the Strong? But Robert the Strong's. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm saying my hint here is I'm doing these in these questions. You mean Carl in the second? Was he really shorter? I mean Louis the third. Shortest reign so far, not not lowest Vion. Was it not Louis? lowest Vion throne score? Because Vion throne also includes children. Louis the Stammerer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I really had to walk you to that one, so I'm not sure. <laughs> that gets the point. 
Okay. 17. Okay. Question 17. What were the names of Louis the Stammerer's two wives? Asengard. Ansgard. I'll give you that one. It was close. And Adelaide. Yes. Good job. Yay. These are closer, so. Yeah. Um, question 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do Charlemagne's daughter, Rotrude, and Lothar I's granddaughter, Ermengarde of Italy, both have in common, aside from being Carolingian princesses? It should be theirs in their own right. No. They married them- some related to Bozo? I don't know. Both of them were going to marry someone. Oh, they were going to marry the um, uh, Empress, um, was it Theodora's son? They were both going to marry a Byzantine emperor. Not the same Byzantine emperor, but a Byzantine emperor. They were both going to become a Byzantine empress, yeah, or intended to. Yeah. Yeah. But never happened for either of them. The what-ifs of history. Mm. Um, Okay. Question 19. Which saint's remains did Archbishop Hinkmar salvage from Rand's Cathedral? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, well, this is the other half of the question. In which episode did this saint appear in our story? During our special one. Apart from the special Pontifex one. Oh. Um, Louis the Pious? No. Earlier than that? This is much earlier than that. Oh. Uh, no, no. Did, so, Merovingian? Yes. Um, a Chilperic. Dagger. No, it's a, bit, it's a big obvious one. Clovis? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you half a point, because you did say Remy immediately. Okay. So, question 20... Uh, this is one that I feel like you could work out. Okay. Um, so it's, who is Carloman II's fourth great-grandfather? So, you have to count back six generations. Okay. So, okay, you have Stammerer. Yep, this is Dad. Bold. Yep. Pious. Mm Mm-hmm. Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. Um, Martel. Nope. Oh, the, uh, the short one. one. The Pepin yeah. one. Then yeah. Martel. Yes. <laughs> so that's okay, six, so it's Martel. So. Is that your final answer? You said one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's Martel. Yeah, that's correct. Woo! Charles Martel. Is the fourth great grandfather of Carloman the second? Okay. Going Do you by the my total score? line. Yes. What is your total score, Eliza? My total score is ten. Ten. Yeah. That's pretty. That's that's not too bad. These I are know, some I hard questions. Yeah, these are but some hard questions, but yeah. Those two half points gave um, me a whole point, so that helped. Hmm. I feel like the only people who could do better with the new, apart from you know actual historians, 
would be like people no, who I just... bet you there's probably so many people out there in our podcast who will do better than me. <laughs> but I feel like the people who do better than you would be the people who have like binged all the episodes in one go. <laughs> so it's all fresh in the no, mind. I bet you Andrew will get it. Yeah, let us know, Andrew. Did you do better or worse than always? You probably did better. I think last time he did better. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So okay. We speaking of Andrew, we have a, we have a few social media messages. Um, okay, let's hear. Actually, none of them are from Andrew. Uh, oh. Well, none of them that I have here. He always sends us stuff. But, you know, <laughs> give other people yeah. a, bit of, a bit of time in the spotlight. So Woo. these will all be a couple weeks old by the time it's airs. But um, once again, we have reports of snort laughing from Megan Jordan on Facebook. So keep on snorting, <laughs> Megan. Uh, and we managed to get her and several people into Pontifax. So oh. job well done. I didn't realize we even had listeners who hadn't already listened to Pontifax. So, oh, it makes you feel special. <laughs> it does make you feel special. Um, we also had a poll on Twitter asking who is France's best patron saint, and we put one on Facebook as well. And Dennis won both of them, or Denis won both of them. Hmm. Yeah, the headless guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think Martin of Tours came second overall, and Remy came third. So. Unfortunately, our, our female saints, Petronilla and Radagon's stories, I think, were just a bit of a bummer compared to, Aww. you know, the guy who carried his head. What about my one? The guy who set fire to the Emperor's bomb. I, well, I, I was, was great. asking about patron saints of France. Uh, Saint Ol- oh, Olfia right, patron is not saint. one. But I'm sure she well, she's a, she would have won. She would have won it because <laughs> bloody being a saint of frogs. Saint of frogs. And, you know, an underappreciated saint is Olfia. And full-on hermit living in a swamp. Yeah. So you can relate to her since you basically live in a swamp. She was a hermit and she was friends with Kermit. <laughs> Get it? Okay. That was really bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a couple of other very lovely messages. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Angela Rose called us a fun and free-spirited podcast. Oh. I enjoy listening. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Um, we've also got at uh, Hyde on Twitter. I love your podcast. It makes French history very entertaining. By the way, Charles de Gaulle had the swagger to be a great French monarch. Uh, do do mm. you know who Charles de Gaulle is? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like the French Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I love how um, what Winston Churchill did uh, to de Gaulle when he died. What, what did he do? Oh, I can't, I've meant to blank now on what it was, but I just remember reading it at the time being like, oh my God, that is so petty to the next level. <laughs> was he petty? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was like petty as. Because they were like allies, <laughs> but they were also kind of rivals in a way, even though they were they were like yeah. very similar in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Charles de Gaulle, he definitely- Well, I know what it was. He um, made sure that his, uh, I think, funeral procession, Winston Churchill's, mm-hmm. started at Waterloo or ended at Waterloo oh, or something no, like that. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Just be like a petty ass. That is rude. That's so rude. Um, yeah, it was something like that. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you don't know why that was rude- uh, read a book about Napoleon. Find out in a few years. Oh, yeah, we'll find out in a few years from us. Um, okay, so we've got some good Apple podcast reviews. We've got some new ones, um, including one called It Only Gets Better, which I feel like is a nice 
backhanded Aww. backhanded compliment. That's sweet. Um, <laughs> because you know what? Well, we, it does get better as it we does get, get more used to as we go up doing get, podcasts. Yeah, but also that was a. If we that, figure it out. That was also a five star review. So that so you know, oh. give us five stars even yeah, if you have criticisms because. God, that just makes me think of the letter I got one time when I was um, pra- uh, doing my practice to become a teacher and one of the kids wrote in the letter because they all to write letters, like, thanking me. And one of the kids, you one kid wrote, you're not the best teacher right now, but one day you will be. <laughs> oh, that's actually really <laughs> It was, sweet. like, brutally honest but very accurate. No, yeah, no, it, the, the, this, this review has that same sort of vibe. Yeah, I kept that letter because I loved it so much. It made me laugh. Yeah. So, yeah, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, pretty easy to just do a quick review it has to be one like only one word like good yeah you or literally like oh, fun right. or luscious locks say that um <laughs> and if you if you listen to us on spotify they've just added a new rate rating system so yeah do that, I saw that. five stars and i think mm-hmm. google podcast has a rating system as well so rate us on all the things and that's the best way that you, you can, can support us, us because you know we don't have a with any sort of monetization set up. So that's really the only way yeah. people can support us. Yeah. yeah. Even though we are looking at getting um Patreon. Yes, eventually. One day. So a bit of a bit of a sign off now. Um go to our mm-hmm. official website, battlerailpodcast.wordpress.com. You'll find all of our contact details there. So follow us on Twitter. Or any Instagram, of our Facebook. social medias. Yep. Um and tune in next time for Bozo of Provence. Before we move on to Charles mm. the Fat. <laughs> so that is going to be au revoir from me. And goodbye from me. Bye.